what's up? I almost said, hello, Americans. But we have an international audience. So hello, Anglophiles, primarily, although a weird contention of you from foreign, from non-English-speaking countries listen to this podcast, which is great. Welcome to This Week in Mormons. Glad to have you all here with us, wherever you are in the world, folks. We're, we're going to give you a nice rundown of relevant Latter-day Saint news for this week here at the end of June, sliding into July. Lots of interesting stuff to cover this week, as you might imagine, if you've been paying attention uh, to both national and international news and if you're even remotely tapped in to the LDS space. So I'm Jeff Openshaw, your founder. It's nice to be here. And I'm joined once again by the indomitable Liz Busby. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. How's the uh, how's the Pop Culture on the Apricot Tree podcast going? Going really good. Uh, we released our episode on Under the Banner of Heaven. So if you want to hear some commentary about how we would fix the show, uh, listen to that. And then this week we have an episode coming out about Hamilton for the 4th of July talking about uh, how we might use the historical perspectives of Hamilton to look at church history. So it turned out really good. I'm excited about it. Oh, that could be very interesting. I, yeah, it I is. Never, and I've never seen Hamilton on Broadway, but like many, I watched it when it popped on Disney Plus two years ago. That was a good experience. Our kids were being brats, so we just sent them to bed. Because it's so long, right? And so we're oh, like, yeah. all right. Like, this is fine. And so when they went to bed, my wife and I were like, dude, it's like 7 o'clock. This is awesome. Like, what should we do with our time? This is our moment to invest in the three hours of Hamilton, which was great. Amazing. Yeah, show. it was a good show. It's such a good show. So we have that'll a great be, discussion be, on it. That'll be very interesting. I'm assuming for Under the Banner of Heaven, um, your main feedback was just to not do it. Was that your main <laughs> No, actually. So we had some suggestions for how to do it better. Um, we actually did have a couple points that we enjoyed about it and some good discussion going on. So it's not just Mormons complaining about under the banner of heaven for an hour, though there is some of that. There's a little bit. <laughs> okay. A little bit of that. Oh, that sounds that sounds excellent. I'm going to check those out. Well, you're, you're like, what, nine episodes in? Podcasts are a fun project. <sighs> yeah, know. I think this is our 10th episode is the Hamilton one or ninth. I don't know. Hey, I did. I wanted to ask you. You guys did an episode on turning red, which I finally watched um, mm-hmm. over the over Father's Day weekend or whatever. We had some time. I there was a lot of hoopla and like the in the I hate to say the family community, but I saw a lot on social media, a lot of concern about the content of it that it provoked rebelliousness, that it had a lot of bad messages. I didn't really get that from it, having seen it. I understand how people pulled from that. Mm-hmm. And what kind of how they saw that. But at the end of the day, I thought it was actually pretty like innocuous. It was just teenage girls being teenage girls. I didn't think that was anything out of the ordinary. I never I didn't watch this and think like, oh, my goodness, this is teaching my kids to disobey their parents. I mean, I thought that was a pretty normal trope from a lot of films. But what do I? Yeah, it definitely is a theme in a lot of coming of age films. I think a lot of us had a problem with. Like the ending is really good, right? She's still serving in her family temple and she has a good relationship with her mom, but we didn't feel like that was earned through the story. That might be fair. So that was, we had some problems with the storytelling in there. And then just kind of, I don't think the th- implications were thought through all the way with the panda symbolizing different things at different points in the movie. Yeah. It doesn't, it, kinda... it, it wasn't as well put together as I expected from a Pixar. So yeah. I, I did, which apparently people are also saying about Lightyear, but I don't think I'll even bother saying that. Um, yeah. And also, there was that little part at the end, which said "My Panda, My Choice." That was a little yeah. like that was a little on the nose, and I was like, okay. "Bit on the nose, bit." It didn't, it yeah. didn't bug me, but I was like, "Okay." Um, speaking of bodies and choices, everybody. Um, yeah, a lot of things. I guess we might as well. Why bury the top story until the end of the show? Uh, as you might be aware, in the United States last week, the Supreme Court. 
which is overseen by a 6-3 super conservative majority, this um, decided to overturn the landmark 1973 decision of Roe v. Wade. Roe v. Wade, uh, if you're not familiar with it for some reason, it might be international, whatever. Uh, it's a It was a landmark ruling that basically said you had a constitutional right to an abortion. States could still regulate it, but you could not be flat out told you could not have one. States could not make abortion illegal. And it sort of removed the overall, the bigger state's issue of whether or not abortions were available. Prior to that time, many states had outlawed abortion entirely and women who'd wanted one for whatever reason, like I don't think we're not going to debate necessarily all the merits or anything, but sometimes they'd have to travel elsewhere. It also would often adversely affect uh, minorities and, and poorer people because they didn't have the resources to go out of state. Imagine if you are lacking in resources and you live in Louisiana and like Texas and Oklahoma and Arkansas and Mississippi and all your neighboring states also don't allow abortion, it's it's a significant undertaking just to go and, and get one, again, regardless of the reason. So in overturning Roe, they sent it back to the states arguing that their the abortion's not mentioned in the Constitution, which that alone is a can of worms, Alito, about things that aren't mentioned in the Constitution. But um, it's not there. And so it should be a state's issue. And in some ways, I agree with like, sure, let the states sort it out or let the federal government actually make a law and not lean on the course to do it. Okay, fine. But it's for sure. We, I mean, you can understand that perspective, yeah. right? Like, maybe we should not legislate through the court. Let's just make a law about it. If people really want it, let's do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of feelings, of course, very strong feelings on all sides, many who are celebrating this, um, whether it's a state's rights issue. I think many who are erroneously celebrating this because they think it just made abortion illegal across the country and they don't fully understand what Roe actually did because um, they're, you know, they're celebrating life, but it's thrown the U S into a little bit of turmoil. Uh, a bit, for, a bit. For sure. <laughs> There's kind of a lot going on right now in our country. And I mean, I don't know about you, Liz. I mean, I've, I've evolved a lot on this. I think I've always kind of aligned with the church's view, which I've always felt is pretty sensible personally, the, uh, you know, abortion, uh, you know, life is sacred. I, I believe in that. I think everyone should have a chance to life. And I think the church's stance that basically uh, abortion can be considered in cases of rape, incest, endangerment of the life of the mother or the child and should be done prayerfully. The handbook stresses that it does not ever outright say no abortions. End of story. Our church right. does not believe, does not believe that. Um, and I've largely been been of that mindset, I would say, for the whole time. Kind of, as, of course, I'm a man, and I recognize this is a thorny issue, and as a man talking about it, but as a man, I would often feel like, well, you know, like consensual sexual activity does have risks associated with it, and for I, sure. And I, I don't want anybody to rake me over the coals, but I, I don't necessarily think that as as full blown birth control, just like I don't want a kid right now. I've never felt like that's a legitimate excuse. But with all that said. Where I've changed is I'm concerned about Roe being overturned because I don't think that's like the solution to the issue for me personally. I, I think yeah. we're always addressing the the supply and we're not addressing the demand and we're not doing the things that would reduce the demand for abortion in the first place. I, I'm kind of with you on this, Jeff. Like I think the church's position is a good position. Um, that's kind of where I land personally. But I know a lot of very thoughtful people on both sides who would like to outright ban all abortions or who personally are opposed to abortion, but think see the argument for making it legal and safe for those who think it's okay. There's lots of complex issues. Um, so I've been kind of just staying off of Twitter this weekend because it's not a, <laughs> not a healthy and civil discourse, which I would hope that we would get. And oh, that's kind of the Twitter, unfortunate Twitter. thing about going at, uh, about this through overturning Roe versus Wade. Yes. Um, is that, it's it's just exploded everybody's feelings. It's 
been really tough, I feel like. It was not a, a good way to have a discourse in any way. The weirdest thing on my Facebook page compared to a lot of big political moments in the country and moral moments in our in our country, surprisingly more subdued, I felt like compared to other stuff. Like I feel like I've seen more activity about vaccines and all kinds of like election related, you know, conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. And I have jubilation uh, about Roe, which has been just intriguing to my my feeds, I think reasonably balanced, which perhaps I like to think says something about me that I've got I've got lunatics on the right and the left. On my feet. But there you great. go. Right. If people are mad at you from both sides, you must be doing something right. Exactly. Um, and I'm great at making people people upset with me all the time. Uh, but I'm with you. I mean, obviously, social media is a difficult place. You're not going to always have very thoughtful conversations. But what I have appreciated that you you know, and you can't do a lot of stuff in short form. But we we do need to come to an understanding that abortion is not like many issues a black and white clean cut. Yeah, definitely. Issue. Abortion can mean a lot of different things. I mean, I found this story by an LDS woman on Instagram and she shared her story of having a 16 week abortion. And 16 weeks is a crucial number because a lot of states are going after 15 week bans. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was after 16 weeks and also scheduling issues. Basically what the doctors said it's worse than we thought. Like the child had a lot of deformities. They said it's, Oh not yeah, a I saw of, this one. It's not, not a matter of if like your child is going to die after the womb, that the child will not survive after birth. End of story. I mean, and so consulting with doctors in prayer, they said, this is heartbreaking, but this is the best course of action for the safe, for her safety and and for the child. Um, and now in this new situation in America, potentially even in Utah, we don't know exactly, but this could uh, this would mean this woman would not potentially be able to get one. Or I saw another story from a couple of years ago about an 11-year-old girl who was visiting with a doctor and she was not well and they were running a lot of tests and the doctor had a nagging feeling to check for pregnancy. And so she's like, all right, we'll check that. We'll check that too. The girl was pre- the girl was very um, subdued and would not talk about what was going on and why. Like she was just very quiet, wouldn't open up, and she kept saying, "Rerun the test, rerun the test." And this girl, this eleven year old girl, was pregnant, and she was pregnant because it turned out a member of her family had abused her. And we should have a lot of concern that some of these trigger laws that we have seen, at least as it is right now, we, we think humanely it would never be this case. But if you read the text of some of them, some of them only allow a carve out if it's an endangerment of the life of the mother. They say nothing of incest or rape. Uh, and that concerns me. Like that, that is part of the church's stance. Yeah. Those sorts of laws concern me a lot. Cause are you going to tell me you'd force an 11 year old girl to carry a pregnancy to term um, after she's yeah. violated by a member of her family? Uh, we like so to I think th- it's no, so important no, like to, to be no really to nuanced, that, right? right? Like to right. allow for people, there's all sorts of circumstances. And so I try to listen more than I talk about this subject that there's a lot of people who have more stake in it than I do. Uh, yeah, me, me too. I mean, as one who, you know, I've most of my, my, my sexualization has been with purpose and <laughs> family and such. Uh, and thankfully, that's been the case for us. So I, I've tried to learn a lot, about, a lot about this. I'm still learning about this. But like a lot of things, it's uh, troubling. As far as what we're doing specifically within the church, um, one thing I saw, Papa Osler, good old Richard Osler, whose brother I actually went and hung out with uh, David last week. Oh. Had some good remarks. Anybody could share this, but he basically said, like, there are members of our church with strong testimonies that are not happy about Roe being weight overturned. And I know people would see that and think, like, well, what's wrong with you? Don't you love babies? Right. He just said, let's be thoughtful about this and try to have thoughtful discussions. And I really hope we can all do that <sighs> while emotions are high. Uh, yeah, you would hope we wouldn't have to say this, right? That we would be kind no. to each other no matter what. Like, no matter what the outcome of an election, there's probably somebody in your congregation who's upset about it. Hopefully you'd be kind about it. And similarly with this. 
Hopefully, but here we are. <laughs> um, here we are. In the process, the church, though, did update. It's, they released a, a very small press release on the newsroom that basically just said, we've updated our passage on abortion in the within the church's you know website. And that's all that said. If you go to the link, uh, you have to dig around a bit to see what they changed. Most of the first part's very exactly what it was. We believe in the sanctity of human life. You know, we oppose elective abortion or for social convenience or personal convenience. But here are the kind of the carve outs we have talked about at the beginning of this show. But what it used to say after that, it said the church teaches its members that even these rare exceptions do not justify abortion automatically. Abortion is a most serious matter and should be considered only after the persons involved had consulted with their local church leaders. I have some thoughts about that and feel through personal prayer that their decision is correct. The church has not favored or opposed legislative proposals or public de- demonstrations concerning abortion. Um, so it's interesting. They changed those two paragraphs to now say even these exceptions do not justify automatically justify abortion. Abortion is a serious matter. It should be considered with prayer. That paragraph is mostly the same with some tweaking, but then it changes the second one. Instead of just saying we don't favor or oppose legislative stuff, it says the church's position on this matter remains unchanged. As states work to enact laws related to abortion, church members may appropriately choose to participate in efforts to protect life and to preserve religious liberty. And I've seen a lot of people wondering what exactly they mean by that. The last part right there. What what are church members appropriately participating in efforts around protecting life and preserving religious liberty? Like at this stage, now that Roe is gone, what are they saying? It seems it? to me like it's just asserting that religious viewpoints have a place in the political discussion over this. There are a lot of people out there, again, on the Twitters saying that you should leave your religious viewpoints out of it. Um, yeah, this is just a political matter, which doesn't make any sense like to me. So I think that's what it's asserting, but I'm not sure. It is kind of opaque. It's just interesting to me because it's almost like they would say, hey, like basically those who are, we would assume in reading this, they would say the church members want to engage to protect life and, and, and have religious liberty. That would assume at a first reading that it's in the effort to make abortion rarer. Like, but that's, yeah. but Roe is now gone. And so some have wondered, like, is this the church kind of trying to say that it is more nuanced? Like church members may appropriately choose to still like, um, especially religious liberty. I mean, people might be saying my religious liberty, like this is the government now. You've seen some of this telling me they have in some ways taken away my religious liberty. Like this is the government dictating clearly what and what I can't do. Uh, as related to my body, irrespective of what my, my religious beliefs are. I mean, you were just saying, you know, there's people who are saying, don't bring your religion into this. At the same time, you could see it as an affront if you're if, if this does go beyond your beliefs in some states. And you could find yourself in a state now where the abortion laws might go beyond what our, what our, our official beliefs are, at least as a church level, as Latter-day Saints regarding, you know, abortion. And so that makes it tricky. So I'm curious. The church it's is threading tricky. a difficult needle. I, I find it interesting, though, they did say um, states as states work to enact laws. Now, in an international context, state really means country. We're called the United States because we were essentially 13 pseudo-countries that became one country, right? One country, right? Federal so, system. Yeah. So that's the idea behind states. But it is weird language because usually you would think to say as country. It's just curious they used a very specific language of states in that press release. So this well, is I think global. it ties to the yeah, yeah Roe versus Wade kicking it back to the states now. Yes, so. which I agree. But it's, you know, we're an international church. This is a press release that does not apply only to the, to the United States. This applies to all countries. And so that's this why. Is true. I just think that's curious language from a semantics standpoint. But speaking of state laws, so Utah has a trigger law that went into effect on Friday. 
um, basically going along with the church's position, no abortion except in cases of rape, incest, or the life of the mother or the child. Um, but late breaking yesterday, um, uh, Planned Parenthood of Utah got a temporary restraining order from the third district judge, Andrew Stone. Um, so they're for 14 more days, they're allowed to continue providing ab- abortion services in Utah while we figure out the situation. I think the argument from what I read, um, was just that this was very sudden. It was going to put an unnecessary burden on people who already had procedures scheduled. So it's kind of softening the transition. I don't think it's doing anything to block that law from eventually going into effect, but it's kind of slowing down the transition for people. Yeah. Yeah. And every trigger law is different, you know, per country. The very existence of trigger laws just fascinates me. The legislature kind of weird. Bother, this is, many of them have been on the books for, you know, decades and saying, in the event Roe is overturned, we're ready to go. Like, I don't know. Are, I don't know this flat out. Are there other trigger laws in totally different subject areas? Like, in the event the Supreme Court acts in a certain way, like this law will change? I'm trying to think what those mm. would be off the top of my head. I don't know exactly what that would be, at least at the state level. But, um, that's just interesting that they've gone that, you know, if in the event Citizens United is overturned, will we be automatically ready for X, Y, Z? I don't know. I don't know. Let's see. Oh, I'm looking on Wikipedia. looks like there are some for Medicaid as well. I could. Okay. There are eight states that have laws that would trigger an end to participation in Medicaid expansion if federal funding falls below a particular level. So oh, good. It's that's like interesting. We, sh- we shouldn't help people, folks. You know, those bootstraps need pulling. We, we don't need come on. I'm just saying we can't fund it on our own. So if the government's not going to fund it, we're going to stop doing it altogether. <laughs> Forget it. Forget. Forget it. This is not possible. Oh, oh boy. Yeah. Well, um, so anyways, folks, if you have any thoughts about the row issue, we're happy to hear you comment on our Facebook page. You can send us an email, you know, at contact at this weekend, mormons.com. Uh, um, Keep it civil people. Yes. So let's not call people names. <laughs> And I think overall, I've seen, despite, despite Twitter's terrible, I've, I've actually been surprised. I feel like I've seen a little bit more reasonable discussion about this one this time around compared to how much emotions flare up on other issues. Maybe it's just my feed. I feel like I haven't seen as much like just angry mudslinging when instead, like, you know, like in the wake of like January 6th and all that kind of stuff. No, it was just like a disaster on social media, just a complete mess. I don't know. These are weird times. Yeah. Um, well, in between... Speaking of January 6th... <laughs> oh, I wasn't going to go there, but do it, do it, do it. Oh, we might as well get all, all the politics out of the way right now, right? Um, sure. I thought this was going to be the big political story of the week, but not so much. Um, <laughs> I believe it was Tuesday we had uh, Arizona Speaker of the House Rusty Bowers testifying at the January 6th hearings. Um, and the big poll quote was him talking about how his belief in the constitution as inspired prevented him from participating in Donald Trump's effort to overturn the legal election results. So that was kind of cool. And there were lots of follow-up stories in the national media. Like what, what do Latter-day Saints actually believe about the constitution? What does it mean to believe the constitution's inspired? So that was interesting to see that discussion going on. Yeah, that was fun. There was one part. Um, I'm not going to like, it's not a bad deal. I'm not going to. No, actually, no, I won't even say it on the show. Never mind. Some <laughs> of his verbiage in, one, in some parts were interesting. I'll just say if you mm-hmm. example. And I thought <laughs> some people pointed that For out. For sure. Um, but 
this has this is fascinating to watch people jump on this. You know, Rusty Bowers is a hero. Rusty Bowers is great. Look at this man. Look at this man standing up for what he believes in. And yeah, good, good. First of all, for one thing, I I guess he said we're getting the politics out of the way. I've seen this with other people who kind of stood up uh, for the law <laughs> during that that period. That we are we are revering them. That's fine. But to be clear, we're revering people for not committing felonies. Like that's right. what this comes, that's what this comes down to. We, we are unfortunately not, committing felonies has been uh, much too common. Yeah, <laughs> so a little a little normalized. Like I'm glad these that people acted in the way they did. I think that's important, and I'm I'm glad it wasn't something else. But it's also not like above and beyond. It's just like be cool, man. I protected the rule of law. So the funny thing though in all of this, people lauding Rusty Bowers is then afterwards he said something like, "Yeah, but I probably still vote for him in 2024." And I know this is more of a political yeah. thing, but a lot of people say, but didn't you say your faith kind of prohibited you from, from believing to go? I would, just, I would love to interview him and say, okay, it's fine. If your faith prohibited you from breaking the law and going along with all the elector stuff associated with the, the election, which part of your faith is not violated to bring that person back? I'm just very interested in the thought process and somebody yeah. who has sorts of beliefs. And I don't think he's alone in that either. So, no, for sure. I think it's it's a difficult time if you're a principled conservative to decide who to vote for. It's didn't you, it's, didn't you aren't you guys caucusing, or you just did your primary? Or primary yeah. finishes today. Okay, today's so the if day. You're, if you're in Utah. I know many people who are into this. Becky Ed, Becky Edwards is it Becky, Becky Edwards? Edwards indeed, and okay. Ali Isom. I don't think Ali Isom's gonna. She does. She doesn't no, seem to have a win in her sales. We'll we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, you did have an article in here. I think you can speak to this as well. As the Trib had an article about comparing what uh, Bowers with Mike Lee, who was up in his primary to return to the U.S. Senate today. Yeah, yeah. Um, I saw this because uh, uh, the reporter, Robert Gerke, shared it on Twitter with kind of the, the, the tag like, oh, Mike Lee, this is what you were supposed to say. <laughs> like Because uh, we have the leaked... Um, text messages from Mike Lee asking Trump and affiliated people, tell me what I'm supposed to say. I'll say anything. Um, and then we have the contrast with Rusty Bowers being like, uh, no, <laughs> very principled stand on believing the constitution is inspired. So it's interesting considering that they both come from our faith and therefore they both should think the constitution is inspired, but it didn't prevent Mike Lee from uh, doing the things he did to research ways to overturn the election. I don't know if we can go so far as to say he actually enacted any of those, but he was definitely helping in the research process. Yeah. So kind of so interesting. We talk a lot about you know the divine nature of the U.S. Constitution, right? That's 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 essentially doctrine of our church. Is it the U.S. I mean, it's in the Book of Mormon, it's in Doctrine and Covenants. Yeah. So. so here's something I haven't thought a lot about, especially given – a lot of what's gone on in the United States in recent years. Have you ever met anyone who's had a faith crisis because they have come to the they struggle to see how the U.S. Constitution actually is divinely inspired? Does that make any sense? Like they could look at it and be like, "No, this system doesn't work. Like it's better somewhere else." And if and has that caused them to question their testimony and their relationship with the church? That's a very that's quite an esoteric area to be in. I don't know that I've seen a faith crisis, but I know I definitely know some people who feel a little uncomfortable with our idealized image of American history, right? This is a part of what we talked about in, in the Hamilton episode that's coming up of pop culture on the apricot tree. 
talking about an idealized version of history versus a more nuanced or looking at the problems um, version of U.S. history and kind of the balance between those two. And often the, the discourse we hear about American history in church is more on the hagiographic side Mm -hmm. of these guys are great. They're basically almost prophets, you know, Um, which may be not helpful to some people who have been hurt by different things in U S history. Yeah. And I would, I would hate anyone to have a crisis, but that's why I guess, like you said, maybe no one's had a crisis, but when it is like, it's, it's one of our, it's a, essentially a doctrine of the church. And so this yeah. could be like a part of the church's beliefs officially that you take issue with and that, you know, people have left the church over other things, you know, for this, at least in a similar, for sure. a similar setup, different subject, but this is the church's belief on this. I don't believe in this aspect of it and it's causing me to, to drift. And I think President Oaks's recent talk on the Constitution tried to make this a little more nuanced, right? Tried to bring out the, you know, we don't believe that every word of it is perfect. There are changes that need to be made. There were compromises that maybe shouldn't have been made. Different things like that. That we can still believe it needs improvement, um, even while we still think it's inspired. Yeah. Okay. We'll do something, a couple lighter things before we get anything (laughs) weird. Folks, the newsroom, the newsroom from the church wanted to let you know that more than half of the stakes in Europe are in which of these three countries? And the great thing is, if you saw it on Facebook, because they shared the, the hero image, you would immediately see from the pie chart which three countries there were without even clicking because it shows yeah. it right there. Uh, but it's a fun, you know, I'm all about the Europe. I'm a Europhile through my mission in Europe. Love the place. And, uh, struggles with religion in general, a lot, not a lot of excitement or activity. So it's nice to give them some love. Probably shocking no one, uh, by far the lion's share of stakes in Europe are in the United Kingdom, which has 45 stakes. Um, of those, most are in England itself, I would assume, because I think Scotland still has five stakes. Ireland has, oh, Ireland's not in the United Kingdom, but Ireland proper has like one stake. I don't even know if Belfast has its own stake in Northern Ireland. It might. Um, but yeah, the church has a lengthy history in the UK. That makes sense. Yeah, I guessed that one, but I did not guess the next two. Did you guess them? I w- so I should know this better because I saw my mission in Spain. I did not realize we we're up to finally up to fifteen. Spain had when I was on my mission. Spain had like seven. Um, so it's grown a lot, which is great. I expected Germany to still be number two, but I obviously they see their neck and neck. Spain's fifteen. Germany's fourteen. Uh, I thought Germany was still going to have the edge, but uh, Spain's had a lot of stakes, largely due to South American immigration into the country. Makes and sense. I, I don't know if immigration immigrants are also driving uh, the situation in Germany or not. It's just you know it's easier to immigrate to Spain when you already speak ninety five percent of the language, save some idioms and stuff like that, right? So uh, interesting stuff. After that, you got France has ten stakes, Italy has ten stakes, Portugal only has seven stakes, but Portugal is actually per capita much more densely LDS than a lot of. Yeah, I was going to say it's a small country to have seven. That's awesome. Yeah, and and kind of similar for Switzerland as well. Yeah, and then they just combined a bunch of the rest. The Nordic countries, just you know, as if they're all the same. Yeah. But Sweden has four, Finland has three, Denmark has two, Norway has two. Then the Benelux, which they combine, which they, <laughs> like they say Benelux. I'm not familiar with that term. <laughs> well, you should have spent time in the Kennedy Center at BYU. Uh, no, I Benelux, did not. <laughs> Benelux, here's, here's a fun word, folks, is a portmanteau. And I imagine you know what a portmanteau is, Liz. I do. A, a portmanteau is a word that combines other words to make the, the new word. So in this case, Benelux is like Belgium, Netherlands, and Luxembourg to create Benelux. Ah. 
Uh, there's no stake in Luxembourg, so it doesn't even get any representation. And then there's eight stakes where no other country has more than two. Oh, it's eight other countries. Eight other countries. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Eight so. other countries, but none has more than two across eight other countries, which I would like to know what they are. I mean, like, which are the other ones? I mean, Ukraine has like two stakes. And then it's smaller ones like Hungary has one stake. Czech Republic has one stake. Albania has one stake. I'm sure it's just a bunch of those. Good times. Well, excitement for Europe, folks. I don't know when the newest stake will be organized in Spain, but all, all they need are 31 more stakes to overtake the UK. So I feel like- You can do it, happen. guys. Let's go. We can make this happen. It's going to be fun. <laughs> oh, what else have we got here? Oh, we have more about the Utah water situation. Um, the church put out a thing through the newsroom encouraging people to conserve water, framing it in terms of our responsibility to care for the earth. Um And just talking about what the church has done to help conserve water, they said the church has installed water-wise irrigation systems and low-flow plumbing in buildings since the early 2000s, and they're continuing to retrofit older buildings. And they say that they're going to actually reduce watering of lawns at temples, meeting houses, and other buildings. And in some cases, they're going to let the lawn go brown, which is, I applaud that. There's a lot of church lawn in Utah. So if we... uh, stopped watering those quite as much, it probably would make a pretty good dent. It can make a, a very big dent. It's funny because this happened in 2015 as well. There was a lot of drought in the West and we talked about it on this show. Famously, they stopped watering the lawn uh, at the Los Angeles, California temple, which if you've been there, has this huge expansive sloping yeah. lawn that goes down to Santa Monica Boulevard and there's images of it brown as they stopped. They still kept some like various planters and stuff watered, but they were trying to do their part. And I think this is good. Like I, I applaud it as well. I'm glad the church is being involved in these sorts of efforts. I am curious though, like not being in Utah or even in the West, it's nice that I know they've been working on this plan to use more appropriate native landscaping and be more water wise and newer. Yeah, I think that's interesting. But but it's been an effort for like a long time. So I'm very curious. Utah has a lot of meeting houses to retrofit, right? Very densely church. I get that. I just want to know, like since 2015, since they've been doing this for so many years, has it been consistent? Or is this still like considered a pilot program and they're still putting up regular old meeting houses with regular old lawns in newer developed areas? Where the, If you guys, yeah. if any of you live in an area like that, I would like to know about it. Because I feel like if we're not going out of our way to be water conscious from the get-go is that's like the priority. Are we being good stewards? I mean, the West has a major drought right now. And even... Um, even without my, the drought, we just are overgrowing our water supply in general. And it's a big time. And so it's funny because John Oliver this past week also talked about water. And I'm only bringing this up because there are some allusions to, to Utah. Talking about the whole situation in the West, how basically they've as much as said, this is how much water you need for the people and just flat out, there are too many people in the drier parts of the Western United States. Like there is not a sustainable amount of water for no. those people. And even to stop using the term drought and start using the term eridation, essentially, this is a permanent shift to a more arid environment in much of the West. And and like Utah is growing a ton. Can it be sustained? Uh, I don't know if it can. And so the John Oliver uh, reference, it was a good piece overall, by the way. I thought it was actually really insightful as far as what we're doing, which which areas are being more responsible. Like apparently the Las Vegas area is actually very good with its water management uh, and 
not like people have both down to you'd think it would be crazy because i mean it's vegas right like all the pools and things but i guess they do a pretty good job recycling it and uh, decreasing their water use which is good so at one point they shift to utah after after uh lauding nevada for the work they're doing utah's the worst offender apparently in this sense uh they singled out saint george which is covered in golf courses that use tons of water to maintain uh, and St. George is even worse than other parts of Utah. I mean, it's St. George. For, it's just flat out red yeah. rock desert out there. There is, uh, you know, uh, you can only pump There's so There's no much. reason it should be green out there. No, no. The Virgin River is basically a trickle, folks. It's not a raging torrent from which you can borrow all the water you need. Um, and he goes this thing, and you're in Utah, Liz. Spencer Cox, the governor. I guess this was last year, right? It was last like summer, last, yeah. Last summer. That Spencer Cox appeared and implored Utahns of all faiths to pray for more rain. Now, from a Latter-day Saint, as he was going into this, I got not uncomfortable, but from like a Latter-day Saint context, like, yeah, there's plenty of times in our history and throughout the scriptures where you're praying for the heavens to be opened up and, and something to get better. And I think that's a good exercise from the perspective of an HBO program. It was more just like, are you kidding me? You're just going to just gonna pray for the water to come without any works per se? Like, this is your solution, Spencer Cox? Your solution is not a laundry list of policy items we could do to address the drought. Just I mean, I think it was taken a little out of context because yeah. it was part of a speech where he did talk about the programs they are using and encourage people to actually do something. It's like a both and not a let's yeah. pray instead of doing anything. Yeah. And so I thought that was kind of, it was kind of funny. And I was like, Oh, well that's, that's, that's nice. And then at the end they had Brian Cox appear in a bit, uh, appearing as God and basically just like tearing into Utah primarily basically saying like, I have given you the water, stop praying for more water, figure out what to do with the water. You can check it out. It's on this week's, this week's uh, last week tonight. So yeah, like you said, not totally fair, but it kind of, the second like Utah pops up on anything, I just kind of get a little tense and say, okay, what are they going to do? What are they going to do now? Yeah. They never said, they never said, um, I don't think they ever said, they didn't say Mormons outright, but when they made fun of Cox, John Oliver is just like, He's like, those of you, those of you who are not members of the one true faith, please pray with us as well. Even though you do not believe in the true in the true Lord Jesus, oh dear. please. Anyway, so if you're offended by that kind of stuff, don't watch it. But if you want to watch it, it's at least insightful about the water situation. Uh, but I do hope we'll do more as a church. Like we got to be real about this, Utah. Like it's not, a, it, you're on the edge of yeah. the Great Basin. It's not time to have green lawns everywhere. That's just not what we should be doing. All right. Well, I'm going to pull in. This is maybe more esoteric uh, literary people news, but um, the Association for Mormon Letters Awards finalists were announced this wow. week in a bunch of different categories. So it, I don't know how much you follow Mormon uh, literature, Jeff. I mean... Have after you read tennis, anything after, since the uh, work in the glory? <laughs> after, after tennis shoes, no, Lund is not a very good author. Um, uh, after, no. tennis shoes, after tennis shoes among the Nephites, like you can't, there's nowhere to even drops off there. after there. Oh, Just Charlie, okay. Charlie and that. That's all I've got. There you go. Well, if I worked for the, the Deseret book in 2005, can you tell this is what? Was there you go. Yes. That is definitely what was being sold then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. So they have not, uh, words out for, the different categories you'd expect, novels, short fiction. Um, one thing that's interesting in novels and short fiction, they actually did bilingual awards this year. So awesome. they had judges who could read in Spanish and as well as English. And there's actually a pretty thriving community of LDS writers in Spanish. So 
couple of the nominees are in Spanish. There's translations available in English. So very interesting. Um, and then they ha- there are some more obscure categories that I think people will be interested in. There's film. Um, there's also a podcast award. This is their second year doing the podcast awards. Um, comics and graphic novels are in there. And they have a lyric award. There are a couple different albums with uh, Mormon content that they've been doing. Um, not EFY albums. We're talking uh, the Killers album, a couple of other albums on that list. So, Well, I mean, the most recent Killers album does have – it's hard not to see – LDS yeah, time. oh, certainly. Sure. On pressure machine. So, encourage people to take a look at those lists. It's um, interesting to see the variety of things that are coming out. Um, one of my favorites that got nominated both in the young adult category and in the comics category is Shannon Hale's graphic novel memoir. Have you seen these? No, no. Tell me more. Um, it's it's from a national press, and so. It's not quite Mormon, but she prays a lot in them. And she fought really hard to not have the religious elements scrubbed out of them. Um, I think the first one is called Real Friends and then Best Friends. And the volume that came out this year is called Friends Forever. And it's basically the experiences of a young Shannon Hale um, in middle school uh, dealing with middle school things. But, you know, she... She prays about things. She goes to church. So it's interesting to see that come out from a national press. Um, Friends forever. Sorry. And I hear they're really good. My kids have all loved them. So I haven't all gotten right. a chance to read them, but my kids really enjoy them. So I'll have to check these out. Yeah. My kid does not. Um, my, old, my oldest kid loves to read, but he like never does fiction. He goes to the library and just finds all this like reference and nonfiction materials and spends all his time just like reading through like encyclopedias. He's got a book about. I have a couple like that. I have a couple like that. Yeah, I'm hoping the other ones as they get to be better readers might be more on the inventive side. My other kid spends all day making up rhymes and songs, so you know we'll see. Graphic novels can be a good transition. Sometimes they have a harder time reading fiction if it's dense, but graphic novels can be a transition into fiction that way. So I like it. Okay, folks. Where all, my, my goodness, there's so many things I could touch upon here. Uh, yeah. So many interesting stories. I will get on Matthew Bowman here. Kind of interesting here. He talked about why religion is more than a belief. Matthew Bowman is the, I believe he's the chair at the Claremont Colleges for uh, Latter-day Saints Studies. I might be getting that. He's the, yeah, he's the Howard Hunt, yeah. W. Hunter chair. So the gist of this piece is essentially trying to look at a bit of the history between First, Protestants and Catholics, how way back when during the Reformation, uh, a lot of Protestants took issue with Catholicism was so rite-based, sacrament-based in sense. It was a lot about the ritual. Protestants felt like Catholicism didn't focus enough on belief. And so some Protestants have gone totally the other way, where it's strictly about belief and has nothing to do with works or or ordinances or anything like that. Um, And I think we're a little bit of both in our church. But he kind of wants to wants to defend cultural Mormonism, as he calls it. Basically, people who might not believe in every other thing or maybe even observe every rite or practice, but they identify as Latter-day Saints and they want to be a part of it. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like I, I saw one of his quotes here. It was kind of interesting. He said, like, we hold gradu... And he said this kind of like the value, the importance of participation regardless. It's like we said, we hold graduation ceremonies and birthday parties because we aren't brains and bottles. We could easily just say, hey, you graduated. Hey, it's your birthday. And like, who cares? No, we have a celebration for it. 
We are bodies that are, that want to stretch and move under the sun. Getting a diploma in the mail hardly means as much as striding across a stage in a robe among hundreds of people to celebrate you. We learn through motion and community as much as we do through words. We grow not simply by repeating slogans, but also by standing up, walking over to another person and shaking hands, hugging, looking at each other's eyes. Church has value, no matter where you're at, and letting people who aren't at the same place you are, but be involved is valuable to everyone involved. And so I thought this was a pretty interesting piece. I like this, this perspective It was pretty short too. It wasn't this crazy long thing, but, um, yeah, I like the idea of making a place for people who are not at the place where they believe everything, but still see the value in the community and not having this strong dividing line that if, if you don't believe, don't bother showing up at church. Um, and we get, and we, we need, we need to have, make space for people who are yeah, doubting. That, that's absolutely a thing. And we really do. I mean, I worry a lot about how much we inadvertently push people away. I feel like it's like, best way I could sum this up. It seems to me we often lean on, especially more, I hate to say progressive members, but there have historically been some of those on the outs, you know, the past few years, notwithstanding with farther right members suddenly finding themselves like they don't have a place. But we often lean on them to say, look, you got to understand so-and-so didn't like mean this the way they said it. So-and-so worded something insensitively. Um, we got to give everyone, we all have to give each other a little bit of space, but I feel like we lean on some of the, those with the minority viewpoint to say like, just, you know, kind of let it go. And we don't lean on everyone else, the majority to say like, Hey, like make space for these people too. It's like the ones who are already in the minority are the ones who often also have to bear the have to put in the work of needing to put in the work and stretch and put up with everybody else. And that, that is a recipe for problem as time goes on and your ward dynamics going to suffer in the process for sure. Yeah. It definitely builds up resentment and makes the whole community aspect harder, right? It makes it harder to feel loved when you feel like every week at church, somebody's insulting your, your lack of belief or your different beliefs about the church. Uh, Definitely important to be a little more sensitive and kind of defend those who don't don't have maybe an orthodox testimony. Yeah, and it's a fine line. I mean, like I'm I'm in a leadership position, and one thing they talk about a lot is that we you know we have a responsibility to teach ensure correct doctrine is taught if we can say it with the passive voice they always use. And mm-hmm. but um, that's an important thing, and I believe in that. But we also have to recognize that we can't be so dogmatic that we don't leave like room for everybody else to have different beliefs and recognize those different viewpoints and, and realize that sometimes those viewpoints can completely function within an, a doctrinally appropriate space. Like we get so locked in culturally that we forget that there can be room for, you know, the more than one. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here with you. Yeah. Well, and also that people's beliefs will change over time, right? What happens if you push someone out because they don't believe today the way you think they should and you know in three years maybe that's going to change so make a space for them while they're still working on that also a very good point so be better everyone open up space for all the good people good stuff all the love yeah all right well where do we go next um should we borrow from the twin sisters and talk about Mormons behaving badly or rather media about Mormons behaving badly? Yes, please hit me. Let's do <laughs> oh, it. Oh dear. So our, our good friends Hulu having finished under the banner of heaven now have a documentary special from ABC called Mormon no more. It is about a pair of lesbian Mormons who leave their faith because there is no space for their marriage. 
So interesting. Hulu, Hulu. I've heard, I've heard it's interesting. It's just like, why are we in this like backwards Mormon moment now? Where 10 years ago, it was the Mormon moment with Mitt Romney. And now it's like everyone's obsessed with weird docu-series that yeah. make us look iffy. We're in a curious place. Yeah. And so in addition to that series coming out, there's also a book called When the Moon Turns to Blood coming out, which is about um, the Chad Daybell, Lori Vallow case. So, you know, just just good Mormon moments in the media right now. We're just, we're looking real good. I hate to sound so defensive, but like, folks, where is the, where is the series Calvinist? No more. Yeah. (laughs) Where is Catholic no more? Where are these other things? Like it's, I know we're, we're just, we're Mm. mystical and intriguing, but, and I get it. Like, you know, it's like, we're not, to be clear, we're not the only faith where it can be difficult to be LGBTQ. We have, we have plenty of issues. I'm not diminishing him by any stretch of the imagination, but, uh, you know, yeah. it's it's not easy for plenty in many faith areas. And there's a much bigger discussion to be had rather than, you know, going out of your way to put a picture of the San Diego temple up and, you know, drive that point home. I got married there, Hulu. Come on. Come on. Uh, I canceled my subscription, except commercial free Hulu is the greatest gift you can ever give yourself. It is it's great. You, when you have regular Hulu and then decide to pay the extra six bucks a month so you have no ads, you don't know what you've been missing in your life. Indeed. Uh, truly. Truly. That's fun stuff. Okay. Well, really good. Here's some more frivolity for all of you, everybody. So uh, Garth Brooks and his wife, Trisha Yearwood, first of all, sidebar, good for them for still being married. So many celebrity couples and especially musicians don't go the distance. They seem to be legit because they've been married for a very long time. So upfront, I want to tell everyone, I'm not a country music person, and uh, I'm, I'm going to speak with a lot of ignorance about this entire area. I know, I know I'm know, i obviously aware of Garth Brooks, and you know, I'm, I'm not stupid and out of it I recognize his name. I've heard that yeah. name on, on the radio. Is, mm-hmm. Isn't he the guy who always wears a headset mic and never, ever stands in front of, a, of an actual boom stand? That's the guy, right? Yes, it is. So Garth Brooks has been, you know, he's touring. I always liked his... Um, what was his alter ego called? Chris Gaines. Remember that? When he put out like an... I have no idea. It was like 20 years ago or more. Garth Brooks put out what basically like an alternative album. And he huh. did it under the pseudonym of Chris Gaines. Totally different kind of music. And he wore... I think he wore a wig that was all like moppy. He looked like... Uh, he looked like emo Peter Parker in Spider-Man 3. Like that oh, kind that's of hilarious. Thing. Check that out, folks. It's kind of interesting. Don't want to anyway. alienate your country audience with this alternative stuff. Yeah, pretty much. So he played a show at Rice Eccles Stadium the other week in Salt Lake City and, you know, good times. He said it was a good river, played all of his hits and blah, blah, blah. And I believe it was when Trisha came out to join him, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm not reading it incorrectly. And she essentially, they were they were basically lot just loving the audience, saying it's never been this good before. What an amazing audience. I don't want to be cynical, folks, but this is part of the show. They tell every audience they're the most amazing audience they've ever seen. You need what? to understand the way, the way concerts work not sincere in their praise he's he's like this is like throwing gasoline on a fire they were just loving it and then finally when trisha was out there i believe she said something like regarding this event these people she said this is the place and that of course made everyone lose their minds because of course course. everyone starts thinking they get us they get us this there's no way that was that was not intentional she knew exactly what she was saying um she's probably just thinking like well yeah this is the place park is kind of up the street and we saw it you know, on our way in and we know it's a thing. So that's, everyone that's got an re- interesting question is how did she come up with that phrase? Like, 
someone advising her about how to play to the Mormon audience in Utah. I don't know. Well, I do. So I do know this. Garth Brooks echoed the statement, and it says in the Deseret News piece, Brooks, who has been vocal about his love for Utah. So perhaps the the Brooks Yearwoods are more familiar with Utah than a simple pit stop Maybe. on a tour, and they know the stuff. But I mean, if that's not audience pandering, what is? I mean, that's beautiful. you know, it's it's like when you go to Cal when people play sets in California, and they say like, "This really is golden." And the whole yeah. state just loses their minds. That's what happens, right? And they go to Arizona and say, no one should live here. And everyone also cheers along. It's great. Yep, yep. Yeah. Oh. Well, all I know is that in my ward, there were like two or three people trying to sell their tickets to the concert at the last yes. minute. So apparently it's popular where I am, although I there was some kind of conflict, so people couldn't make it. But I can't believe they didn't play Stadium of Fire. Come on, guys. Oh. Is there a more noble tradition? Okay. Stadium of Fire. Oh, Stadium of Fire. I was even. I did. I had to do a couple extra classes, so I spent my. I, I graduated from BYU in August because I was doing a couple coursework. So I was there for the fourth one year. I did, I was just like, okay. I watched the Provo Parade, and then I avoided the stadium like anything I could in my life that evening. That was the plan. You know where the best place to watch Stadium of Fire for free is? Your house on the hill. No, the hill behind oh. the temple. Yeah. Yes. Go camp out up there. Great view of the fireworks, and you can get out quickly. And the temple's right there. Even and the temple's soon, right there. So there will you go. soon not be what it once was. Lest we forget, folks. Provo Temple, soon to be RIP. Pour one out for the Provo Temple. Yes. Pour Indeed. out some dirty soda for the Provo Temple. Exactly. <laughs> um, uh, some, some quick sad news here: a missionary in Mexico passed away. Uh, last week, this is some sad news. So, his uh, according to church spokesman Sam Penrod, this one's just coming from LDS Living, but uh, Elder Francisco Rene La Madrid, who was actually uh, from Mexico, he's in Mexico City. He had, it was a biking accident, so he died from multiple injuries uh, while going down a steep hill due to slippery conditions. So that's that's terrible news. And our yeah. was at the time. he was a member of the Mexico it's it's Zimna Stake and had been serving there since March 2021 in the Mexico City East Mission. Always terrible when this happens to yeah. anybody. Missionaries die from all sorts of things. I feel, you know, sometimes it's health related. Sometimes it's like this. It's terrible. So, heart squats okay. the family. Here's another interesting one. I believe this one's from our friend Jana Reese talking about our Mormon sabotaging marriage and family. What a headline. Yellow journalism is the finest. I love it. Very much. But despite the... Uh, the crazy headline, the clickbait headline. Um, I think she's actually got a good point in here. She's talking about the common cultural practice or I don't, I, joke of telling missionaries that like the better they are on their mission, the hotter their wife is going to be. <laughs> and uh, missionaries thinking that they've, they've earned a really, really good looking woman for their wife because they had such a good mission. Um, and just talking about how it's objectifying of women. Yeah. No, no. You you marry hot, Liz. Everyone knows this. This is all that, this is all that matters. Oh, yeah. Do they tell this to, to the sister missionaries that they'll get a hot husband if they go on a mission? Is this a thing? I don't think this is a thing. I doubt it's a thing. I doubt it's a thing. Maybe they tell them though that he'll make six figures. Yeah, there you go. Like the later part. Anyway, she has a great point. Let's stop that. Like, it's just gross, guys. It's no, no, no one wants to be a prize. 
No, then this might be apocryphal. Like, I don't know. I'm trying to think if I ever really, really saw that. I might have heard somebody say that in more of a tongue-in-cheek rolling eyes. I think it's more of a joke, yeah. Um, But still. I remember not – I never was – it's almost like prosperity gospel in a way. Like, you're thinking, like, you served really well, ergo, you'll be rewarded with worldly treasures. In this case, a beautiful woman. Um, I remember when I was going home, right when I was, like, done, my mission president did – the final interview – is so different from the others because it's very much reflective on what you've done and not, and then looking forward, but it's very little about like, how's the work going in your area? You don't talk about that hardly at all. Uh, and so one thing he said, he's like, look, I'm not going to like lecture you much on, uh, what kind of a woman to find and, and just, and who that should be and how soon that should be. He's like, you know, don't waste your time, you know, get married at the right time and find the right woman. He's like, I will only say this to you. He said, make sure when she presses herself up next to you, when she stands up next to you, the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. That was his only guidance. To me. <laughs> he didn't say like you're rewarded with the hot wife, but he was like, make sure you basically get the heebie-jeebies when you're around her. And so that's what I went for, and that's what I yes, that's what I got with my wife. There so that's you fine. go. I do think one thing, other thing in this article, you talked about the missionary side of it. She also spoke about what's apparently happened in some young women's courses, and I don't know how many have seen this, but this whole candy bar analogy thing. Oh I yeah, I have not heard of this, but I don't so, like it. <laughs> So the idea, of course, is that the candy bars with their various names would represent certain qualities in a spouse. It's a young women's lesson on a future husband. Also, pause, everybody. I just want to recognize that young women do a lot of lessons about husbands. The young men don't do a lot of lessons about wives, and they probably should. It's never like, what should you look for? They should. Uh, They should do more lessons on, like, child care, too. It's more about, like, how to be a good a good husband and father, but you don't have lessons like this, like qualities to look for in your, in your future husband. Um, so the idea is they show example, like a Snickers bar is yeah. problematic because it could mean the guy Snickers and makes sarcastic comments at church. And then of course there's the 100 grand bar. You should look for the man who can make a, you know, six figure salary and all, I don't know. Um, there's a lot of different candy bars. I don't know how you make metaphors out of all of them. I mean, like, what do you say about whatchamacallit? Not sure. That's the whole point. Watch my call, or the Bueno, or Almond Joy. Almond Joy is not very smart. I don't know. Like, can't remember anything. Be, you, no, Almond Joy is to be avoided. That's all it means about the person. It is to be avoided because coconuts is stupid. So, if this is real, I've never seen this happen. But I do not put it beyond us to actually do something like this, folks. So don't don't do this candy bar thing. If you see it in your ward, tattletale and make it stop. End this now. Good article. I agree with you though. I feel like the headline barely even matches this article. It's one of the more sensationalist <laughs> headlines she's used. It's it's difficult teaching these lessons because it is important to teach kids to think about it, <laughs> to think about who you want to marry, but doing it in a way that's not problematic. Yeah. Or objectifying either direction. Absolutely. Oh, goodness. What else can we run into here real quick? Well, you put this one up here, but uh, Sask watching i mean i i we we lived in seattle for 12 years so sasquatch is big there thank you deseret news editors for that one anyway uh there's a guy in eastern idaho or idaho state university who's uh trying to hunt down sasquatch and of course folks that's all good he wants to find sasquatch but the bigger question of course is you know is cain from the bible bigfoot this is an important part of who we are as latter-day saints is cain bigfoot um he won't go on the record and say whether he is or not. That's all there is about this. I don't know about Kane. Is Kane Bigfoot? Busby, what do you think? He 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 says in here, he says, probably not, given uh 
the lifespan that he assumes for Bigfoot. So that is very interesting. It's oh, it's life. just interesting to see him take this scientific approach. He says it's a biological species, not some paranormal phenomenon. Oh, it's just fun. No, it's Kane. We Super all know. Super interesting. Fun. It's Kane. Oh, of course. It is. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, folks, if you believe in Bigfoot, there you go. I watch Harry and the Hendersons at least quarterly. So check it out. Okay. I'm going to throw in, there is a new database. Um, I think this is kind of an independent project coming out of Oakland, Berkeley area. Um, it's a database called represent LDS. And it is a database of conference talks by women and by BIPOC members of the church hmm. uh, indexed by scriptural reference. So you're given a talk, you're talking about Alma, you can look up um, a talk by a female leader or by a BIPOC member of the church and use that quote in your talk. Um, just kind of trying to promote better representation and awareness of views from those who don't get quoted as often. So it's a, it's a fun site. Um could be a good resource. RepresentLDS.com is the address if you want to take a look. I mean, folks, if I love what they're doing, to be clear. But if you're making a new property of this day and age, you can't just say LDS winny-ninny. I, I, I don't know, folks. That repre- it should be Represent <laughs> Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints.com. But I love this effort. This is awesome. What a great, what a great resource. And then I was just going to throw on a little kind of a self-promo. Another great literary um, Mormon thing out there is a little contest called the Mormon Lit Blitz. Uh, It's kind of a flash fiction poetry contest. All the entries are under a thousand words. Nice and short. You can read them in like five minutes. Hmm. Um, Contest has been going on for 10 years. They just wrapped up their um, 11th contest, which is pretty cool. Um, and they're putting out an anthology. It's on Kickstarter right now of their second five years of stories. Um, one of my stories is in there. Um, so encourage you to get on Kickstarter and check that out. If you're right. interested, all the stories, if you don't want to back the Kickstarter, all the stories are available for free online. So you can check out, um, what you're getting before you, uh, commit. Well, speaking of other places where you can offer up money, uh, even though you'll still get the product without it. You know, if you want to join us on Patreon, patreon.com slash this weekend Mormons, we appreciate your support on there to help us pay our numerous and mounting bills, folks. This is not there's a lot of resources go into this whole production, as you well know, listening to it right now. But thanks for joining us this week. We hope you'll find us everywhere on social media and our website and all that stuff. Uh, if you have any feedback, contact at thisweekinmormons.com or comment on this post on Facebook or Twitter. Always much appreciated. And we encourage you to go to popcultureapricottree.com or look for pop culture on the apricot tree wherever you get podcasts and support what Liz is doing over there I'm excited for the couple of episodes you've mentioned uh, that are going to be in the works those will be very interesting for sure Liz it's wonderful to have you thanks so much for your time this week thanks for inviting me on again I appreciate that that's been great well for Liz I'm Jeff thanks for listening to Twim folks we hope you have a terrific week keep your chin up and uh, for our American listeners have a good 4th of July we won't talk to you until uh, once that's a little more in the past so enjoy that stadium of fire Provo we'll talk to you soon see you later bye bye